Well, again, happy Easter to everybody. My name is David. I'm the lead pastor here at Current. Today is a special day, but it's also an Easter unlike any other, is it not? I mean, here we are in the middle of an Easter that's in the midst of crisis, that's in the midst of death. I was talking to a pastor in New York City this last week, and he was telling very soberly that he had had three people in his congregation just pass away uh, just this week. And we're not talking the things that you probably are thinking about. He, he talked about one seventh grader who passed away this week, a third grader, and then a gal who uh, taught in the, Engl- in the elementary school system over there who left behind two little ones of her own. And then Cindy and I, this, this last week, also had two friends with family members who passed away from coronavirus. Um, it's not my intention to overdo it here, but... To, to highlight this reality that we're living in times where we're, we're, we recognize that we're far more vulnerable than we often consider, that we're far less in control of things than, than we usually think. We're celebrating Easter in crisis, but Easter is a match for any crisis. Uh, that's what I want to consider with you today, and to do that, we're going to be looking at Hebrews Chapter 2, verses 10, 14, and 15. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. There's also a tab on the right-hand side of your screen that you can pull down a Bible. Uh, If you want to follow along with the translation I'm looking at, it's the NIV version, New International Version. But we're looking at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10, 14 through 15. And before I read it, here's what we see in this letter. Here's the context. Uh, The Hebrew writer was writing to a church in the midst of a crisis of their own. They were facing great persecution. And so what they were doing was pointing them, pointing us to the Easter message, a message of hope that transcends all suffering and hardship. So that's what we see here. Let me read it and then we'll draw some thoughts from it. So Hebrews 10 verses 10 and then 14 through 15. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. And then verse 14, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So here we see three ways Easter is a match for any crisis. Number one, we see a redemptive plan. Now before I reread the verse that we see this thought from, Uh, Let me consider with you a question that is often asked in times like these, and that is the question of, where is God at in the midst of this? Uh, Doesn't He care? How could He allow this? But this question, or these types of questions, uh, really are making an assumption. And that assumption is, if if we do not know or cannot know the reason, then there there must not be a reason. God couldn't be having a reason for it. But look, on the surface, we could throw these same sorts of questions at the cross, asking, where was God in the midst of his own son suffering? Uh, Didn't he care then? And, And how could he have allowed that? And of course, doing so helps us see that when we frame things this way, we could miss the point of it all. I hear it again, it is in verse 10. It says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation, that is Jesus, perfect through what he suffered. Meaning, it was all a part of God's plan. 
Jesus suffered. Jesus went through the, not just a crisis, but the worst crisis of all. And God was in the midst of it. And that really is one of the great promises here. While we might not always understand why we suffer or, or the reasons behind suffering or crisis, we are told that God is in the midst of it all and working out his redemptive plan through a resurrection power, bringing all things for good. And this is all over the Bible. There's example after example in the Bible that, that holds this thought, that shows us this thought. For instance, from anywhere around 900 years to about 700 years before Christ, the people of God, the Israelites, rebelled against him. Basically chose to live lives that they wanted to live, following other, worshiping little idols, um, just committing gross acts of injustices towards the poor among them, towards the foreigner among them, just doing really horrible things. And God repeatedly said, you got to turn back to me. you got to follow me and, and my ways. But they refused to do that. Well, eventually, God said, hey, because you're not doing this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withdraw my favor from you. And all these powerful nation, of all these powerful nations that kind of surround you, uh, one of them is going to break in and, 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 and conquer you, take you into captivity. Well, they still decided to live their own way and just, you know, do their own thing. Well, eventually, the great Babylonians rose up against them, and they saw the writing on the wall. Well, they came to God in that time of great distress, and they said, do something, deliver us. And God said to them, you can look at any number of the prophets saying such things, God said to them, I will deliver you, but it's going to come through the Babylonians taking you into captivity. That really scared the people. They, they were facing a lot of suffering and, and persecution, and, and indeed those things did come upon them. But while they were thinking, this is it, this is the end of us, this is the end of our culture, we will be no more, history tells us that through coming out of that side of, uh, of the other side of, of captivity, they were actually made stronger. Their culture preserved and made stronger, a people of God much more loving and committed to take care of those around themselves. Uh, what we see is that God, through them, even in hard situations that they themselves brought about, he was working his redemptive plan. Uh, Christian author and pastor Larry Osborne talks about how God always has a plan. In one of his books, he describes how modern-day shepherds treat their flocks uh, of parasites. And what they'll do is they'll take one sheep at a time, and they will dunk it, submerge it entirely under uh, a vat, into a vat, to entirely submerged in, into a cleaning chemical solution, uh, just to kind of rid them of the parasites. And you just got to think about that from the sheep's perspective as the shepherd, whom they love and they trust, <laughs> whom they've been following, dunks them under the water. You, you got to think that they're drowning, that this is it. But the reality is, is quite the opposite. The shepherd is actually doing the very thing that will heal them, that will cure them, that will give them life. In crisis, God holds everything in his hands. He is the one for whom and through whom everything exists. And while it is not fun for him. It, it, it saddens him to see suffering and persecution in the world, often brought out, uh, brought out by our choices and our actions or inactions. He is working his redemptive plan, and he is using his resurrection power to, to weave all things together for good. Uh, that's the first thing we see is a redemptive power. The second thing we see here is a, a defeated enemy. 
Look at verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, that is Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. My eight-year-old son is really into comics right now, fantasy stories. We're still reading through The Lord of the Rings. I've mentioned that in, a, in sermons past. Uh, but he's noticing this ubiquitous theme that really uh, is in so many stories of ours across the culture. And, and that's the theme of a, a battle between light and darkness, good versus evil. And so he was thinking about this, and he, was, and he had some questions about uh, the faith and how, how this plays out with God, and in particular, the devil, how this battle wages. And he asked the question, he says, Daddy, if God is so much more powerful than the devil, how can the devil do anything to him? And I said, you know, that's, that's a great question. I mean, you're right in the sense that the devil can't do anything to harm God directly, but he can do things to harm God indirectly. Now, that's why the devil likes to see people suffer. He likes to see them fall into temptation and to do things that harm others because at, at the end of the day, that hurts God. Why? Because God loves us. In this text, the way it's worded, it seems that the devil is our great enemy. And in a certain spiritual sense, that's true. But elsewhere, and in, in many places in the Bible, including in, in this text, we see that really the great enemy of all, however, though, is death itself. Because death isn't something that just happens to us physically, as terrible as that is. The Bible emphasizes that death is something that happens to us spiritually. That is, the worst of death is it's a separation from God himself. But what we are told here in this text is that Jesus broke the power that death holds. He broke the chains of slavery of death. There's an old hymn by Robert Lowry that puts it this way, very triumphantly, he said, death cannot keep his prey. Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. Jesus has broken the power of death, and he has done this in two ways. First, he has broken the power of death objectively. Uh, the reason Jesus rose from the grave is because death no longer had right over him. If you commit a crime and the punishment is three years in prison, that punishment, that prison sentence, has power over you. But after the last moment of the last day of your sentence, the debt has been paid. There's no longer the hold of power over you. When Jesus rose to life, it was God's way of saying the debt has been paid, but not his debt, because he lived a perfect life. He had no debt. No, he paid the debt for you and me when we put our faith in him. He paid the debt of being separated from God himself, not just dealing with death physically, but all the more dealing with death spiritually, breaking its power over us. He's broken the power of death objectively, but he's also broken the power of death subjectively. That is the fear of death. Look again at verse 15. It says he's freed those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Ernest Becker, who is an atheist, wrote a book called The Denial of Death. And in it, he describes how every culture from the beginning of time has had some way of dealing with death, some sort of narrative to help them with death. Because without it, death means everything you and I will ever do will eventually be forgotten. So the things that we do now, the choices that we may make today, they might live for a generation or two, they might be remembered for a generation or two, maybe, maybe quite a few generations, but at the end of the day, eventually all will be forgotten. 
And if nothing else, eventually the sun will burn it all up and nothing will matter. And Becker says the secular person has nothing to, to, in their arsenal to deal with death. Listen to this quote of his. He says, man has awareness of his own splendid uniqueness in that he sticks out of nature with a towering majesty. And yet he goes back into the ground a few feet in order blindly and dumbly to rot and disappear forever. It is a terrifying dilemma to be in and to have to live with. He's saying, on the one hand, we feel a sense that we are meant for great and glorious things. And yet, on the other hand, it will all end and come to nothing. But George Herbert, Christian, uh, Christian poet, put it this way very beautifully. Death used to be an executioner, but the gospel of Jesus Christ has made him just a gardener. Death is an executioner. Death is executioner to the, to the non-religious person. It's just, there's no point in death. It's just an end of all things. But to the religious person, uh, they are left to fret, oh no, have I lived a good enough life? In that sense, in these senses, death is an executioner. But now, because of the gospel, Jesus' victory over death, death has become a gardener. That is to say, it plants us. It only becomes a new beginning. It's to say death is making us like a humble acorn seed that we will eventually grow into a beautiful and glorious oak. Uh, look again back at verse 10. It says that we will become many sons and daughters of glory. African-American preacher Jonathan Evans gave a very powerful speech at, his, at the funeral for his mom. Uh, this is something you can, you can YouTube. But in it, he talked about how he wrestled with God in prayer, specifically with God in terms of, of answering, not answering his prayers as he prayed for his dying mother. And here's what he said he felt in response from God uh, by way of answer. He said he felt God saying to him, there was always only two answers to your prayers. Either she was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. Either she was going to live or she was going to live because victory belongs to me. And because of what I've done for you, the two answers to your prayers are yes and yes. God is weaving all things into a narrative that is for, for good, a redemptive plan through his resurrection power. And the enemy, not just an enemy, but the enemy has been defeated, can hold no more power over you when you are in Christ. Even the fear of death has been broken, has been destroyed. But how? That leads us to our last thought. We've seen a redemptive plan, a defeated enemy, and now we see a victorious champion. Uh, recently, my son has been having nightmares. Uh, his imagination is just kind of going wild. He's at that age where, you know, the other night he was looking at one of his posters. Uh, everything was dark, but this little turtle on the wall swimming in the water he thought was coming alive and going to get him. Uh, we've all been there at some point or other, or other. And I was just trying to help him work through the, his imagination just to know that he's okay. And, um, but it also made him think about the possibility of real threats. Like, Daddy, what if a, if a real bad guy were to come in? And I said to him, I said, son, you, you know I'm here, right? He said, yeah. I said, I said, don't you know that if a bad guy were to come in, he'd have to, he'd have to go through me? And uh, he said, yeah. And, and he went to sleep. 
which was really touching because he still thinks his daddy is, is pretty strong. I don't know how much longer that's going to last. But that was enough for him to feel comfortable to go to bed. You know, in a way, you know, I, I'm my son's champion uh, physically in that regard. Look again at verse 10. There's a word here to describe Jesus that has many different English translations in many different Bibles. It's the Greek word archegos. And it's, it's in our translation, uh, said to be Jesus the pioneer of their salvation. In other translations, it says Jesus the perfecter of their salvation. But one Bible scholar says, no, 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 this word archegos needs to be translated champion. Because that's what this is really talking about. The word means one who stands in your place in a fight. One who fights your battles. If you know the story of David and Goliath, they both fought as champions, as substitutes. If David won, the victory went to the entire army of the Israelites. If Goliath won, then the victory went to the Philistines. Whoever won, the victory was imputed to the people. And the gospel is Jesus is the true and greater David. He is our champion, and he has defeated our great enemy, death itself. That same pastor in New York City uh, was telling us about how over several decades of ministry, he's had uh, the, the honor of being alongside people at their deathbeds. Uh, we're reading a lot about deathbeds right now. Um, but he, he said that many people on their deathbed would say to him, I haven't lived a good enough life. And you know, the reality is none of them had. And friends, that's the point. None of us have. None of us can. But Jesus is our champion. We can't overcome death physically on our own. Of course not. We can't overcome death spiritually on our own. There's no way. We fail miserably. But the gospel is Jesus lived the life that you cannot live and then died the death that you deserve, that you can have life in his name. Jesus, your victorious champion. And you can receive him today. That's the good news. In fact, I want to take a few moments here and give you an opportunity to respond, even now. Uh, the great promise of the scriptures is, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens the door, I will enter and eat with them and they with me. Or elsewhere it says, to all who believe on him, to all those who receive him, God gives, him the, gives them the right to become children of God. Uh, Jesus stands at the door knocking. He's not going to force his way in. But if you open your heart to him, he will come in and begin a relationship with you and give, him, give you his resurrection power, life in his name forever. Uh, we have an online response card that I encourage you to look at now. You'll see a link coming up on your screen uh, now. Uh, there are three listed responses that you can, you can choose if, if, I, if you identify with any of these. First, I want to start with one that's actually not on there. Uh, you can find a space to put this in there. If, 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 if you are just curious, I want you to go ahead and write that in. Say, I'm, I'm curious to hear more. Maybe you just attended today because, hey, it's Easter and I have nothing else to do on a Sunday morning or whatever. Someone invited you along. We're glad you're here. Maybe today your response, your Easter next step is, hey, I, man, I'd, I'd like to know more here. I'm curious. So write that in. We'd love to mail you a gift um, that, that I'll talk about uh, here more in a, in a minute. Even if you're, you're, you're just curious, write that in. We'd love to come alongside you. Maybe some of you, you're ready to start your relationship with Jesus. You've heard enough. You know enough. You're ready. You trust that Jesus has broken the power 
of sin and death in your life, that you can have forgiveness of sins because of what He did for you on, cross, on the cross and life forever with Him because God the Father raised Him on the third day. I would love for you to click that box so that we can follow up with you. We would give you some gifts and resources that we'd hope be help, would be helpful to you. Uh, another box you can check if this is you is you, you want to come back to your faith. Uh, if that's you, uh, check that box. Maybe you never quit believing in God, in Jesus, but you moved to the Silicon Valley and you know life happens, you got busy or whatever, and it, it became not a priority to you. Maybe coronavirus and the current pandemic has gotten this back onto your, your mind and your heart and you want to come back to your faith. The scriptures are clear. God's arms are wide open to you. Whether you're coming to him for the first time or you're coming back to him, he wants to take you up into his arms. So you can go ahead and check that box and we'd love to come alongside you, send you some resources that we would hope would be helpful to you. And then finally, there's a statement where you could respond saying, I'd like to be baptized. A baptism is a simple act of obedience and it really pictures what this is all about. As we go under, under the water, uh, it's as if we're being cleansed of our sins. And as we come out of the water, it's, 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 it's signifying, it's picturing uh, Jesus bringing us to life in what he has done for us. Baptism doesn't, doesn't save us. Only faith in Christ saves us. But it is a picture of, of that saving process in us that Jesus tells us to do, that we are to follow him in. And so if that's you, you've never been baptized, but you're a follower of him, I encourage you to check that box. We'll follow up with you. By the way, we have about three or more people who are ready to be baptized right now, but because of the pandemic, we're, we're holding that off. We'll get to that soon. But if you're today wanting to make the decision to be baptized, uh, we will set that up as soon as we get back to whatever normal might mean. But fill that out, and we'd love to send you a gift. And, and the gift is, is really just something we want to mail to you. And uh, one of the gifts, part, part of that gift bag is, is a book that's been really meaningful to me in, in my walk with Jesus. That's the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. I love this book because it's written by a former atheist who has an incredible intellect and way with words. Uh, helpful to those who are considering or, or working out the faith as new believers or people who have followed him forever. We'd love to send that and a couple other goodies to you. And to those who have received Jesus... Let's today remember and celebrate that death has lost its power, that death has been made into a gardener, turning you and me ultimately into something far more glorious and greater as we walk into eternity because of what Jesus has done for us. Death no longer has a power over you and me when we are in Him. Uh, there's a place in 1 Corinthians 15, where the Apostle Paul is talking about the resurrection and the power that comes with the resurrection. He busts into song, he busts into, into poetry, and he says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Isn't that interesting? He's taunting death. Now, Christians, we don't want to be cavalier about death. We don't want to not mourn death and, and the suffering around us. That's not the gospel. But the gospel does give us a confidence to face anything, even the crisis we're in now with the hope that the Lord gives us through his resurrection power. So let's do that today, celebrating him, worshiping him as we continue in song in a few moments. And let's do that as we do our best to follow him even in the weeks ahead. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending your champion, our champion, Jesus Christ, to break the power of death over us. For those who have made a decision to receive what you have done for them, would you, would you melt this beautiful gospel into their hearts even now? 
And for those who have received you and are, are walking with you, uh, would, would you, would you help us not to make light of pain? Would you help us not to be cavalier about suffering? And would you help us be encouraged and encourage others in the face of it all? We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.